Now, I know it's a cliche, and I know I've used it often as well. Maybe you've heard it. But if you want 2019 to be different, to be better, to be a best year you've ever had, here we go. you got to do something you've never done. If you want something you've never had, you have to do something you are not currently doing. Whether it's marriage, money, health, business, sales, whatever it is. If you keep doing the same thing, it's called insanity, you're going to get the same result. So there has to be something new in the equation. Now, I love to tell Christians this. You can tap dance all over your Bible. You can color code it. You can get every translation there is. You can write notes on it. You can have the best morning devotion in the world, and, and that's wonderful. And You can quote it from Genesis to Revelation. But if you don't do anything, nothing is going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You could read every book on marriage you want, but if you don't get married, ain't nothing going to happen. You have to sleep with a book. Some, some folks are a little slow. Okay. So we're in a series talking about live like you're dying. Live like you're dying. Hey, by the way, you are. Just a little tip off. And I'm going to take you over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, verse 22 through 23. says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in a boat and go ahead of him to the other side. He stayed, dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and a boat was already a considerable distance from land, but it was buffeted by the wind and the waves that were strong against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And Jesus immediately said, don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Stop being afraid. And then Peter, impulsive Peter, said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I'm in the boat thinking, are you on dope? Peter, what are you talking about? I think Peter might have had, what did I just say? Because Jesus immediately slapped him right in the mouth and said, come. Uh, could I have some instructions? Like, Australian crawl, breaststroke, you're going to send a wave runner, flipper, a dolphin, come. Sometimes that's all you get from God because you have to step out in faith. You just have to trust him. We want everything laid out so there's no risk at all. Well, Peter, he jumped out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that looks pretty good on your resume. Walked on water. That ain't bad. He's the only other man other than Jesus that ever did it that we have a record of. But when Peter saw the wind, a failing economy, the high price of gasoline, the exchange rate on the dollar, he became afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, he said. Why would you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, yeah, he got out and made it happen, and now they're going to worship. There's always that crowd. I knew you could do it. I was with you all the time, dirty liar. They're waiting to see you fail. They said, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, 
but I just read about a scientific study that said people who breathe are at risk of dying. <laughs> Apparently, the act of breathing air in and out repeatedly will, without a doubt, lead to your death. Now, for those of us who breathe, that's kind of disturbing. If this scientific study is to believe, and I read it on the internet, it's got to be true, then living has a 100% mortality rate. Now, that's kind of scary, especially if you share the same sentiment as a movie actor who once said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it by not dying. Well, good luck with that. Too bad. Every single one of us, for us, there will come a day that's our last day. So live full, live bold, live large today. Be present in the moment. So the question is, what are we going to do with the days we have left? How will we make this year and make the most of the one life we've been given? How can we make sure that the breaths we have between the one we're taking right now and our last one will be used wisely? Good question for 2019. I think the best guidance for answering that question can come from those who are taking their last breaths. You know, my inspiration for this series came from an article written by a hospice chaplain, and in it, the chaplain talked about the most common regrets heard and expressed by those patients who were in their dying moments. If given the chance to do their life over again, what would they have done differently? You know, when you know you're dying, uh, it trims down your options and it helps you clarify what's really important, right? Yeah. You, get, you get really focused. Well, you pay attention to what people say in their last days of life. One of the common themes, we'll look at all of them this month, but this one, one of the common themes shared by hospice patients was they wish they had taken more risks in life. Looking back, they realized they worried too much about staying safe and being comfortable and didn't take the chances in their life that could have led to greater success, greater satisfaction, greater significance. And now at the end of their lives, when they really have no reason to be afraid, they recognize what they missed out on by not taking more risk. Not foolish risk, but calculated risk. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Comfort and security are an addiction. And it is a great ploy of the enemy. You know, Scripture says in Isaiah, woe to them that are at ease in their lazy boys in Zion. That's what God says about it. He didn't add lazy boy, but I did. <laughs> woe to them that are at ease in Zion. You think about it. If you're the enemy, there are a lot of ways to get people to quit, turn back, not do what God calls them to do, and comfort and security are one of them. Yeah. One of the biggest idols in this country is safety and security and comfort. I don't know what's happened to us. You read the New Testament, I don't see a whole lot of comfort and security or success. I mean, being burned at the stake, fed to lions, chopped off with the sword, I don't know. Just seems to me like it was a wild ride. Let me tell you what 2019 is going to be. It's going to be a wild adventure. It's going to be awesome, but it's going to be wild. Yeah. Awesome, yeah but wild. So please put your tray tables in the upright and locked position, store all baggage that you've taken out, and buckle up for the ride. It's going to be a great ride, but it's going to be a wild ride. You said it. I said it. So 
I remember thinking, I read an article by the former president of Coca-Cola Company. He said, the moment you let avoiding failure become your motivation, you go down the path of inactivity. You can only stumble if you're not moving. If you don't have a few failures, you're not taking enough chances. Nobody can be right all the time, and the big companies didn't become big by playing safe. And you won't either. You know, everybody that's made a difference in the world, whether it's economic, scientific, automotive, aviation, even in the church, did stuff that looked pretty radical and different and scary. And the chances of failure were pretty high, but they went for it. You know, if you have a safety net, then when it gets tough, you'll quit. You're either all in or you're out. You know, nobody says, um, nobody says, are you pregnant? And they say, maybe. <laughs> you either are or you aren't. You know, and it's like, are you in or are you out? Without a commitment, you'll bail. You'll bail in marriage. You'll bail on something God's told you to do because you're afraid. And I thought, I don't read anywhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament where anybody got a free pass to be safe. You know, if you sign up for the military, they don't give you a waiver. Do not worry. Please sign here. You will never be put in harm's way. You will never have to suffer. And you know, Charismatics, Pentecostals, and a lot of Christians in general love to say what Paul said about Jesus, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. We'll throw in the second one, and the fellowship of his suffering. There's some pain in following Jesus. There, there is some pain in doing what is right when everybody else won't. And so I don't know why they love to omit the bad verses, but it's there. It just goes with the whole package. Well, fear's a awfully powerful motivator, isn't it? Fear can be healthy, but it can also keep most of us from doing the things we should be doing. Th think about how the news plays on our fear. Why the food you eat may be dangerous. Why drinking coffee may shorten your life. Well, then suck it up and shorten it. I'm drinking it. <laughs> why your clothes may not be safe. Why your choice of a vacation spot might kill you. Too many Reese's cups are bad for your health. What's next? Or think about how fear dictates what we drive. First, there were lap belts. Then there were shoulder belts. Then both. Then anti-lock brakes. Then front airbags, side airbags, top and bottom airbags. I mean, soon we'll be driving around in a freaking marshmallow. Fear is a powerful sales motivator. Author Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, no relationship to Randy Ross over here, says that almost all the fears we experience in life can be boiled down to two basic fundamental fears. The fear that we won't survive and the fear we're not good enough. All of them. Like, afraid to take a lower-paying job that's more fulfilling. What's the fear? Why won't I do it? Fear of not making enough money to survive. Or afraid to go out on a date or take a new class. What's the problem? Fear of not being good enough. Afraid of visiting a sick relative. I'm afraid I'll be reminded of my own mortality. That's a question about survival. And those two fears are paralyzing forces that often keep us from taking risks. That was sure true for Peter and our story. You know, the disciples were out in the middle of the Lake of Galilee during the fourth watch of the night. 
That's about 3 a.m. That means the disciples have been rowing and bailing for up to nine hours. And they're yet to get across that lake. You know, the wind was strong against them. The waves were there. It was a huge storm. And maybe you've had that feeling where the wind was against you. You work and work and work and you get nowhere. You take one step forward, you're blown two steps back. So the disciples are battling the wind and the storm and the waves. And oh, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And he says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter, the most impulsive of all the disciples, immediately asked to come to Jesus on the water. Now, some commentators scold Peter for putting Jesus to the test. I don't see it that way. Peter wanted to be where Jesus was. He wanted to be with his Savior. So Peter steps out onto the water and starts to walk toward Jesus. Let me pause a minute. You know, how about the other 11 in the boat? All the boat potatoes. You know, we got couch potatoes. The boat potatoes. Peter, you're going to die. Peter, you've lost your mind. Peter, you don't have a college education. Peter, you were married before. This one will be bad too. You don't need the devil. Go to church. People will just shut down and try to kill your dream. And everybody will be screaming, didn't you take physics? Don't you know how molecular structure works and how weight and gravity and displacement? You can't walk on water. That's never been done before. Not one of them. Not one of them. Let me, this is just courtesy, just over coffee. If you're not a water walker, if you're not a risk taker, do not rebuke a water walker. Do not. Shut your mouth. You haven't done a thing. And at least somebody's trying. They might not get it right, but they're doing better than you. They're trying. So encourage them. That was for free. Okay. I've come to learn there are two kinds of people in the world. Sinkers and floaters. My uncle was a floater. He could lay on his back all day in a swimming pool, arms outstretched, floating on top of the water. He'd put his beer on his belly and just float. Others tried it, but they were sinkers. And Peter in this story is also a sinker. You know, he floated for a little bit right on top of the water. And for a moment, he was able to block out the negativity, the howling wind around him, how he had been taught in school, you can't walk on water. But just as quickly, he started remembering the storm, his humanity, he, he, the wind. It, it, it took his focus and broke it. And he remembered he was only human and couldn't actually or shouldn't be walking on water, and he started to sink. In that moment, he was overcome by two powerful realizations. I'm not good enough to walk on water, and I'm not going to survive. And the enemy will throw that at you every day. Now, some may look at this story and say Peter failed that his faith wasn't strong enough. I don't know. When I saw the dude go over the side, I thought, you get an A in my book, for at least for effort, right? You know, if he had just kept his eyes on Jesus, the critics say, if he had just had more faith, yeah, that's coming from the people in the boat. They ain't never been wet. But the great adventure is had by Peter. I like Peter. I, I kind of identify with him, you know. It's that fear of failure that keeps us from taking steps to grow our own faith. It's true. What if I start reading the Bible, Rick, but I don't understand it? I don't understand all of it. What a question. Who understands it all? What if I try to pray every day and can't keep it up? What if I serve at church, but it doesn't go well? 
What if I join the choir and miss notes? Quit. Yeah, if you can't sing, don't get in the choir. That's a fact. Sometimes it's easier just to stay in the boat, isn't it? It is. Why is the will of God the most dangerous place in the world? I hear people say, well, that's the safest. Are you mad? No, you better reread your Bible. You know, the reason it is the most dangerous place in the world is because God doesn't fear anything, and he fears no one. So to live outside of God's will puts us in danger. To live in God's will makes you dangerous to the enemy. Some people would rather stay in the boat than meet Jesus on the water. Boat potatoes. Surely it's risky out on the water, but it's just as risky to stay in the boat. There's a risk involved in everything you do, no matter how much we try to insulate ourselves. I mean, you could stay in bed all day and be one of a half million people in America who require emergency room treatment every year for injuries sustained falling out of bed. You could shut your windows and be part of 10 people in America every year who accidentally hang themselves on a Venetian blind cord. If you're looking for safety, you've picked the wrong species. Everything is risky. Our fears will never go away. Fear of not being good enough, fear of not surviving are strong deterrents. They are, you know, and no one likes to be a failure. But failure is not an event. It's a judgment about an event. And we control that judgment. I mean, everybody's failed, but you ought to learn. Anybody but me can look back and say, I'll never do that again. Well, then you didn't fail. You, you, you got a great experience. You got some wisdom. You've become stronger because of it and smarter. That's a good thing. See, it's people who repeat the same problem for 40 years. That's a problem. You didn't learn anything. You got six marriages. Dude, you... There ain't six more bad people. You're always in this mix somewhere. You got a serious problem. You haven't learned anything. And I thought about everybody wants to, well, how much will I make? What are my guarantees? How many days off do I get? What sort of a bonus incentive do I get? I'm thinking, see, you want a risk-free life. Well, it won't pay big time. The guys that make the big money or women take risks. You, you have to take a risk. Anything worth having is going to take a risk. Marriage is a risk. And all married people said, amen. <laughs> well, how do I know it's the right person? Well, marry them, you'll find out. <laughs> I mean, you've been dating somebody, but the real person's home locked up in a cage. You had not met them yet. <laughs> when you say, I do, you'll find out, well, I didn't see that coming. It's just a fact, or raise kids, or, or start a business. I remember when Cindy and I drove out of Savannah, Georgia to start a church, and a U-Haul trailer and two little toddler girls, there was no safety net. It, wasn't safety. it was do or die. We sold that home of our dreams on an intercoastal waterway, on a golf course, Getaway Island, Savannah, Georgia, a low-interest mortgage. I think payments were like four fifty a month. Can you imagine? And I thought, we're living like kings out here. And then when God calls to get out of the boat, you're either in or you're out. You have to sell it and take a chance. Well, what if it doesn't work? And it might not work. I don't know. But I'm going for it. I'm going to give it a try. Because my pain would be wondering all my life, what if? What if I had done that? What if I had taken that risk? Not foolish, but a calculated risk with wise counsel, but still a risk. There's just no way you can get around it. Uh, 
Uh, Mark Earhart in our church uh, owns several businesses. But I, when I met him in our church, he just worked for a major distributor as a vice president. This guy could sell fur coats on Waikiki Beach. And I remember telling him after a few years of friendship, I said, Mark, you can do anything. I said, you can sell Coca-Cola. You could sell Mountain Dew. You could sell anything. I said, you ought to be working for you. You're too good to be making this guy rich. And I remember he waited five years before he got out of the boat. And he is the freest, happiest guy because he did. He made the choice to let go of that security blanket, the safety net, and go for his own dream. And he's better because of it. And I can think of other people in here who have started another practice in another part of town to expand their business. One of the leading dermatologists that I happen to be friends with, Vivian Bukai, she's loaded with patients all the time. I remember when she took a risk financially from downtown to keep that office, which was full, to expand her business to Stone Oak. And in case you don't know it, in Stone Oak, they double charge you for rent. It is twice as expensive over there. It was a huge risk with medical machines and people and payroll, and she had to put on another dermatologist or whatever, and now they're packed to the gills, and you can get in probably in the next two years. <laughs> but she didn't know that. I mean, she calculated it, but you never know. You never know. Anybody listening? Yeah. I'm talking to somebody in here. I know. You, you will not get a contract from God that says... Don't worry about anything. Every need will be met on time. There will be no pain, no suffering, no panic. I wish. I wish, but it, it's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. You know, you can eat barley green. You can drink all your supplements and eat them all and get your protein smoothie and get hit by a car. It runs a stop sign. How did he go? Was it cancer? No, it was a drunk driver. Ran the stop sign. But boy, he sure looked good in the casket. You, you just, you don't know. Before Jonas Salk developed a vaccine for polio that finally worked, he had done over 200 tests. Somebody said, how does it feel to fail 200 times? And Jonas Salk said, I didn't fail 200 times. I just discovered 200 ways vaccine doesn't work on polio. So failure is how you choose to see something. You know, when you contemplate taking the risk to grow and strengthen your faith, and to make the most of the breaths you've been given, the worst failure is not to sink in the wave. The worst failure is never getting out of the dumb boat. Jesus is not in the boat. Jesus is out on the water. So to try and succeed is glorious. To try and not succeed is painful. But it's not failure. Failure is not trying at all. So do you value growth enough to be willing to be afraid? Or is your fear avoidance so high you're willing to pay the price of stagnation and mediocrity and maybe just an unhappy life because growth involves risk. And risk means fear, always. So your choice is simple. Will you face your fear or will you avoid them and become passive and compliant and just get in the herd of people who hate going to work on Monday, who don't like their lives, but who won't get out of the boat. I remember working for a preacher and before we came here, and I remember I've had it up to here, legalistic to a fault. 
we were working with 26 bus routes to get people to come to Jesus and get kids to come. I love kids. We had 26 bus routes in Savannah, Georgia. This person's in heaven, so that's the way it goes. But I remember sitting there thinking, racist, bigoted, uh, prejudice, guilt, shaming, condemnation, afraid to change anything, all routine, the independent, fundamental Baptist. No fun, a little dumb, and quite mental. And I thought, that's not who God made me to be. This is too small a box. I've got security. I get to fly the airplanes. I get to do everything. I'm living a comfortable life, and I am miserable. And I thought, honey, we got to take a chance. I can't live this way. Security is killing me. We've got to do something. I need, you know, the older you get, you need more jacking up. You need a little more spice in your life. Your taste buds get a little dull. You need add a little more hot radish mustard or something to kick in life. And I wanted to up the grade. And that was at 44. And I thought, nothing's going to change till I change. And I remember that's when we decided to pack it up and go. And I do remember they said, you can always come back. By the way, that's a good way to leave anybody. Leave wanting them to tell you you can come back. Because there's a lot of people that leave and everybody in office says, good riddance, thank God. <laughs> or somebody else will get your job and then you can't come back. So you have to be very careful about taking that risk. So we sold our dream home. We had that much equity and we came and my deal with God was this. I'll spend every last dime I've worked for for 44 years and every dream, I'll cash it in, bet the whole farm. And when it's gone, I'm going back. I got to feed my family, so I'm going to, I'm going to, but I'm going to, I'm going to lose everything and start over at 44. Okay, Jack, you give it a shot. Go ahead. You can look, you can make your judgments and assessments, but put it on the, put it on the line, bet it all, let it all go, everything and downgrade to the bottom and then take a chance. Well, that was 33 years ago. Here we are. I'd say it worked out okay, but I'd never know. If we hadn't done it, there are people who are doing their own business now. It's okay. Go for it. Well, Rick, what if it doesn't work? Well, you tried. You grew. You learned something. You still feel good about yourself. But what's gonna ha- you're going to hate the day you, d- you look back at life and say, I could have, should have, would have, and you didn't. You know, that's okay. I just try to get fear out of people who live a boring life. Like God has ordained my life to suck. I have a bad haircut. I look terrible. God didn't give that to you. Uh, Maybe religion gave it to you or a bad culture gave it to you, but God didn't give you that. He said, I've come to give you life and give it abundant. Fix up your hair. Put on a little makeup. Get out of of that Laura Ashley dress. Put on something a little little more kick to it. Come on. Come on, girl. I mean, I'm trying to just use normal, natural things to get you to think. I took my daughters when they were little toddlers. Well, you know, they could talk and all. I took them to see the movie, a Disney movie, of course, Snow White. And sitting in that movie, I realized this is a horrible model for my girls. Here's a woman hiding from her stepmother because she feels hopeless and afraid. She takes a job doing menial labor for seven short, cranky guys because she thinks she can't get more fulfilling work. And she sits around passively waiting to get rescued while singing that dumb song, Someday my prince will come. And I wanted to throw up. 
a life of fear, passivity, and hiding. And I wanted my girls to know, girls, if you are ever in that situation, confront that nag stepmother face to face. You tell her to come to grips with the aging process and that you have no intention of being the fall guy because of her neurotic insecurities about her fading sexual attractiveness. So mama, go find a good therapist and tell the seven short guys to get a life. If they can't handle the basic challenges of personal hygiene and housekeeping, they'll have to find some other codependent to enable their domestic passivity. And stop waiting around for some prince to come by and rescue you. Build deep relationships. Find meaningful work. Serve the poor. And when it's time to choose a prince, let daddy decide. Amen and amen. A life of choosing to follow Jesus means fear never goes away. So choose whether your ultimate value is comfort or growth. See, where is Jesus asking you to get out of the boat in 2019? And by the way, let me pause a minute. I don't think you have to think about it. This is not one of those guilty things. It's like you already know. You knew last year, but you didn't do it. Many of you knew the year before that but you still didn't do it. And there was no logical reason. It's just gutless, chicken, wuss spirit that came on you. I might not survive if I do this. I may not be good enough to be accepted. I didn't feel good enough to start a church either. I never felt good enough about that. I felt good about God, but I didn't feel like, well, I'm so worthy. I never felt that way, ever, ever. Y'all look like a raccoon on I-35 looking at a truck. Yeah, I don't know what you think about it. Risk takers are just willing to bet the whole farm on that dream or that idea and go for it. Encourage your children if they dream. Don't kill a dream. Say, well, you know, honey, I'm single. We, can't, we don't make enough money for you to go to college. Now, you hold it. They hadn't even got there yet, and you're already telling them that it won't happen, that they shouldn't get their hopes too high. They should get their hopes high. You're ruling out the fact that God can't intervene. Whether a scholarship or some funding from an unknown source, God's always funded it. Well, how will we ever pay for that wedding? We don't make enough to pay for a wedding. Well, you're not there yet. Give God a chance. Trust Him. There's all, he will always provide. Always. You be faithful to Him, He'll be faithful to you. In 2 Samuel, He says, He who honors me, Him will I honor. You honor the Lord. He will always honor you. Right? So where do you need to get out of the boat? Where's God been telling you to get out of the boat? Maybe you're in an abusive situation, but you're afraid, if I get out of this, I won't have anybody to love me. You know, I'm getting up in age, and I have one child, and I, you know, I'll let this guy beat me up or get drunk and, and uh, leave me penniless or whatever. And Okay, this is a plug for a movie. Don't be harsh on me. Cindy and I went to see Crazy Rich Asians, the movie. Okay. I'm not a romantic uh, movie guy. I loved it. It's got great, it's got great truths, discrimination, prejudice, all kinds of stuff in it. It's really, you really enjoy, great value. But what I like best, here's my takeaway, and I won't say any more about the movie. One of the girls married to this other guy who is, uh, they're in business, but he's having multiple affairs. She picks up his phone, getting texts from the girls, 
and realize what this loser's been doing. And he always has an excuse for not achieving. She comes from a wealthy family. Not doing anything different. His infidelities always got excuses. And she looked at him and said, I'm leaving. And she said, I don't need your condo. I've got 14 of my own. And she said, by the way, here's the takeaway. It's not my job to make you a man. You are a coward. I loved it. Boom. I said, that will preach. Men, it is not your wife's job to make you a man. You have to have some guts and boldness to take a chance. And I think women are attracted to a little bit of that. Not foolish, but a little bit of that. It keeps the buzz going for sure. And when you do take that risk, I believe that you activate the power of God in a way that changes your life and this world. You know, the hospice patients have a valuable lesson to teach all of us. In many ways, they failed. Their bodies have failed. Medical treatments have failed. And every effort to extend their life has now failed. One person who had previously survived stage 4 cancer said this, quote, If I survive that, what else is there to fear? I understand now that most of what I feared isn't going to happen anyway. Our fears are usually not related to what really happens to us. Wow. In other words, your fear won't stop you from dying. They stop you from living. God help you to decide to live while you're dying. There's a cost to getting out of a boat. you got to risk something. I remember this building is here because... Randy, Jim, and others here that were here way earlier than some of our current board members, uh, way back 30, uh, 12 years ago maybe or something when we, we went for many, many, many millions of dollars to build something before the economic collapse. It was, a, it was not a foolish risk, but it was a big risk. What if something happens to the economy? What, what if? How about 2008? What if everything went bad? Everything went bad, Look, and the risk was there. We could lose it. Several of friends did lose it and went, went into foreclosure. Giving went down 40% in America to charities, Red Cross, uh, United Way, church giving. was horrible. Pe not because all those people had lost their jobs in churches, because they were afraid. You know, I pay God my tithe no matter what's going on with Mr. Trump or Mr. Obama or Mr. whoever's in office. It's got nothing to do with God honoring me and providing for me. I'm not looking to Social Security or welfare to care for me. God says, I will take care of you. I will meet your need. I will never leave you. I will provide all your needs. Seek me first, and all these things shall be added to you. I'm backing up with Jesus, not Social Security or the government. I thank God we have them. But I'm saying, if that's what you're depending on, you're leaning on the arm of flesh, not God. My backup is they'll fail one day. God won't ever fail me. So that's where I urge you to put your trust. You know, as the saying goes, no sense waiting for your ship to come in if you hadn't sent it out. You know, you can't pray for a harvest if you haven't sown any seed. And there's a chance that if you take a risk, it might not pan out. That you might start to sink, just like Peter. But remember, when he did, Jesus was right there, ready to pull him up and save him from his destruction and fears, and God will save you. See, there's a reason that God, that the angels always greet people in the Bible saying, don't be afraid, 
That's because fear is the number one reason people avoid doing what God calls them to do. Well, I couldn't teach. Well, I don't know. I, that's why we can't get, we have to beg and give $50,000 bonuses to people to serve here. <laughs> I'm teasing. It's almost that bad because people are, well, I don't know. I'm not good enough. Well, I don't know if I could teach. I remember my pastor threw me in a school bus standing on the transom with about uh, 75 teenagers and said, teach. Sink or swim, cut bait or die. What, what are you going to do? And I remember thinking, well, I'll just trust God and go for it. And that's how I got started. Somebody just threw me, to the, threw me in the water and said, swim. You think I came out of, the, out of my mother's womb saying, I shall be a teacher. I shall preach. I shall travel the world. I shall, oh, I knew that was always in you. No, nobody ever said that to me. No, I don't know. I just got thrown into it and God showed up. And so, so, you know, you've got, a little, you've got some talent. You, you can do certain things. But all of a sudden, when you go to church, all of a sudden, you don't think you're good enough. You're as good as anybody in here. Give it a go. It, it, and as you use it, it gets bigger. It gets better. It multiplies. That's what's great. So what's keeping you in your boat? Come on, right to your face, looking in your eyes. What's your reason for not risking more? Financially, why you sit back and say, well, I don't know. I couldn't afford. You're going to be, I can't afford the rest of your life. And you'll never know what God could have done. You know why God's going to wipe away tears in heaven? Because God's going to show you what could have been. But you wouldn't. And you're going to say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't want to hear that. I want Cindy to be able to look at the tombstone, walk by it, and say, at least the sucker tried. <laughs> I can live with that. At least I tried. See, being willing to take risks means we choose to believe God is with us during any storm and that we choose to live our lives free from the bondage of fear. Yeah, we'll have moments of doubt. We may sink, get wet a little bit at times. But by choosing faith over fear, we're daring to put our trust in the God who can still my storm, the God who calls us out of the boat into a risky life of faith and adventure and action each and every day. If you get out of the boat, there's a chance you might sink. But let me tell you this to close. If you stay in your boat, there's a 100% chance you will never walk on water. And maybe the lesson to be learned from hospice patients can be best summarized by the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, and I quote, don't go where the path may be. Go instead where there is no path and make a trail. Amen and amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.